Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 124. Good day, my friends. We have an interesting, amazing person named Talia Toha today. She is an immigrant from Indonesia. She came over when she was a teenager, and uh, she also went to Princeton. She has a background in architecture, of all things, and a brilliant, amazing person with all kinds of interesting perspectives, really simplifying what we do as both people and in business, uh, and some real simple principles that we can apply to really bring profound, huge results. She talks about she brings small businesses big wins. And so I love that uh, approach, and I think uh, even in your own personal life, whether you're running a business or not, or running a family, or teaching a class or whatever your, your situation is, there's all kinds of principles here that uh, we can apply and learn and some great interesting tidbits from her story uh, about how she came to the U.S. and all the things that she had to do and go through and learn a language and all that kind of stuff. So uh, stay tuned for that interview. And of course, I want to remind you up front, you are absolutely priceless. You are never alone. Don't forget any of those things. Don't let any of this this stuff going on in the world and this political climate, goodness gracious, there's so many silly things. <laughs> Everyone's decided, I shouldn't say everyone, but uh, the powers that be that are on, on the forefront of the news and stuff every day have decided that we all need to be at each other's throats fighting over this or that. It's really a bunch of nonsense. We do not need to be doing that. We may have some different views and opinions and uh, just feeding this, you know, gasoline on the fire kind of thing to just create problems together is just so unnecessary. And, uh, you know, it reminds me when I was a kid and I used to do that with my brother. And it's very childish because that's what I'm saying when I did that with my brother. I was a child <laughs> where you just poke at somebody and then stop, stop, and you keep poking. And then and then dad gets, my dad used to say, I don't want to be a policeman. And it's kind of the same thing right now. I mean, we have all this stuff with police even now uh, as well, all this controversial stuff and differing views all, all around. I could go off on, on this tangent. I've already started. I'm going to stop. Let's find peace. Individually, it's it all starts with you as an individual. It starts in your home and your family and your marriage or whatever you've got in your life. The, all this cliche stuff that people say, you can be the change you want in the world. So be that and let's be that together and let's massively change the world together consequently. Uh, but remember, you are priceless. Don't let anyone convince you otherwise, and you are absolutely not alone. Reach out to me, info at empowerhumans.com, or friends, family, neighbors, whatever your situation is, where you are. And before we fully jump into the interview, I want to jump into our challenges real fast. Uh, Keep studying, start studying, find things that you can do on a consistent basis. Sometimes there's maybe a series, uh, whether fiction, nonfiction, uh, that can draw you in for a while, uh, audio book, uh, physical or Kindle kind of book, and or some sort of learning series. You know, I just got PBS uh, on YouTube TV a little while ago and, and the Smithsonian channel we've had for a while and all these things. There's a lot of uh, educational things with stuff like that and YouTube and Netflix and things galore. So between all of that and like we mentioned, all the books and audiobooks, no excuses. We don't have any excuses. I know people are struggling with a lot of things right now. I promise you from my own personal experience, and I say this with uh, strong conviction, that studying will help get your minds right each and every day. Find the things that uh, ring true to you and your soul and your soul's purpose in this world and uh, study them. Study the heck out of them. Feast upon it. And uh, I promise that you'll find peace and joy and happiness and contentment through the storm that 
the the world is experiencing right now. Because to be quite honest with you, I think it might get worse before it gets better, but we can stay calm through it all, just as if we were in the middle of a hurricane. And uh, our hearts go out to all those who've been through that, uh, literally, physically, uh, recently. So study, keep studying. Uh, second challenge, make great moments. No matter what the situation is, if you've got people cooped up at home right now, uh, kids out of school, I've got kids doing home school on video chat software and stuff, uh, which is crazy. Uh, but hopefully this virus stuff gets better soon. I think we all would agree on that, if nothing else. And uh, we can get back to the normal things, the travel, the uh, uh, sporting events and concerts and uh, just events in general. Like here I am in Las Vegas and all these shows, Cirque du Soleil and all this stuff shut down. We got we got people in some of the casinos who are employees there. Uh, hundreds of them actually have uh, been found positive with this coronavirus. Uh, and and I'm not laughing in the sense of that's funny at all. It's just like this crazy world that this has become. Going back a year, none of us would have if, – if we showed them the world a year later here now as we start the fall of 2020 and everyone's wearing masks, they'd be like, what's, what happened, you know? Uh, <laughs> because it's, it's a completely different thing right now. But point is make great moments with your loved ones. If you're, if you're stuck at home or whatever the case might be, find a way to do that. And by the way, schedule time to do that. It's very, very important. Uh, take your kids when you go run errands or get gas for the car or go to the grocery store uh, or whatever. Surprise your loved ones. Uh, there's still lots of ways we can do that, make great moments. Through it all, we can still stand firm on strong footing uh, with all the turmoil in the world. And the last challenge, let's keep doing this podcast together. We can be each other's anchor at this time. Let's help each other out. And by the way, on that note, spread the word, uh, share the podcast. Like I've been saying, leave a note on your neighbor's windshield <laughs> or things like that. Best done probably online, social media and uh, channels like that. But uh, spread the word, share the podcast. Uh, I appreciate it. And I, I really feel like we bring value as best we can to you and uh, you and your participation brings value as well. And if you have questions or, or suggestions or you don't like the way I sound or <laughs> some other thing, uh, like I say, info at empowerhumans.com and empower101 on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, without further ado, this interview is going to be amazing, and I think you're really going to like it. So uh, let's jump right in with uh, Talia Toha. Here we go. We are honored to be joined today by Talia Toha, who is a business strategist, CEO, former architect, right? <laughs> Outdoor yeah. adventurer, and also just helper of especially small businesses get big wins, right, Talia? Absolutely. And lots of other hats. I mean, you're, you went to Princeton, you're an immigrant, and I love immigrants. You know, I was married to one, so. Uh, <laughs> Great, there you even, go. Even more so. And on top of that, major common thread, you're coming to us from Albuquerque, which is where I grew up, right? Yes, absolutely. Land of enchantment. That's right. Some folks have called it the land of entrapment when I was in a band back in the day. <laughs> but uh, it's a great, I mean, beautiful place. I can't talk down. I, I still regularly interact with tons of people from New Mexico and the great food, all kinds of stuff. Plus, you mentioned you saw that I worked at a Waffle House there. There's still a couple Waffle Houses in Albuquerque. <laughs> Shout yes, out to Waffle absolutely. House. Uh, you could probably help their business a little bit. Um, <laughs> in any event... <laughs> Tell me, by the way, how long have you been in Albuquerque? So Albuquerque actually was a, it was kind of a surprise transition. And we've been here for me and my kids and my husband, we've been here for a good now 10 years. Oh. And 
Yeah, and originally when we first moved here, we moved from the East Coast, from sort of the Washington, D.C. metro area, and before that, New York metro. So it's, as you would know, it's a huge, a huge shift, right, Phil? Yeah, yeah. And when I first came here, I think it was a bit of a culture shock because yeah. everyone is very nice, very relaxed. The tone is slightly different. The cadence <laughs> is different. Now I can't get enough of it because it's just lovely. And whenever I feel like I need to get a fix or, you know, go get my favorite foods in LA or go to New York, I go there for a couple of weeks and I come home and, and enjoy the, the dry weather again. And just kind of, uh, <laughs> I remember, this is a true story. I re- Remember, I went to New York to visit some friends and family who we still have there. Yeah. And I remember the first time I landed, I was, I, I was kind of like feeling my shirt and I was like, what is, what is this? What is this like sweat coming off, dripping on my back? Oh, and really? then I suddenly remember, oh, it's humidity. Oh, this is, this is something that everybody else experienced yeah. aside from you know, the dry desert uh, New Mexico weather. So that was funny. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, it is. It is definitely a change of uh of, uh, you know, rhythm being in New Mexico versus especially the places you described, Washington, D.C., New York, the East Coast mm-hmm. in general. And then, by the way, we've got the balloon fiesta coming up. Are you excited for that? Well, I still don't know what they're going to do with oh, the balloon Oh, that's true. Fiesta. And for, right, for the people, for your listeners who don't know, this is New Mexico holds one of the biggest, if not the biggest in the world, I think internationally, uh, balloon fiesta event, a whole, I think, two week long. And and people from around the world would come in and just uh, Germany, right? Italy, Europe, uh, Africa, mm-hmm. from all over the place, they bring their balloons, balloonists. And, and this is hot air balloon, of course. These are not the, you know, one of those that you blow yeah, in hot and, air balloons, yeah. for your parties. Correct. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it's always a huge event every year. But this year, I'm not sure. I don't know what the governor is going to decide to do. But that's, mm. we'll see. We'll yeah, see. I didn't even think, yeah. that's a good point. I mean, I'm in Las Vegas and I should, because it's the land of events and get togethers in Las Vegas and partying and a lot of stuff has been certainly shifted yeah. and changed and shut down and events canceled galore out here. And I was like, oh yeah, but New Mexico's still going to have the balloon fiesta. And I was like, no, no, you're right. <laughs> good point. Uh, yeah. I, I grew up yeah. with that. I remember walking to school and just seeing the hot air balloons in the sky and sometimes they'd land at your school because they just have to land, you know, at an open space and schools tend yes. to those. And so <laughs> anyway, we digress. Yeah, this is, this is so true. Yeah, it's a great event. So for anyone who wants to check it out in the next few years, definitely do so. Yeah, great memories too. And if my dad's listening, he might remember too. Me and my dad here talking. <laughs> I used to, one time I remember going and just chasing balloons with him and we, do, we didn't really like help them pack up. We would just, we didn't have to do any of the work. We would just, oh, they're about to land. Let's follow where they land. And we did that all like all day one day during the balloon fiesta. And it's a nice memory. So thanks, dad. Love you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, here you go. Shout out to dad. <laughs> shout out to dad. Uh, back to Talia. So tell me about this. Uh, when people come to the U.S. and we've had several folks who are immigrants from South America, Central America, Asia and various places. Um, talk to me about that, because and I think a lot of us who grew up, including myself in America, can't fully appreciate, no offense Americans, but 
what it what it takes and what it means and the change both in language and perspective and freedoms in many cases talk to me about being an immigrant and that whole story if you wouldn't mind please yeah absolutely absolutely and this is something that i don't always share not many people know this about me actually and they always think that i grew up here and actually not so much i grew up in indonesia that's halfway around the world for those of you guys who don't know and it is i mean it's a beautiful country i love i had a beautiful childhood it's tropical right 80 degrees every single day the occasional rain the whole thing i grew up by the ocean and we go to the sea every summer and it's just such a lovely experience and i loved my life uh, until (laughs) i was 16 and this i can't believe this happened in my lifetime i remember telling the story to somebody i i knew and he was literally he was like is did this happen in our lifetime this wasn't a thing of the past i'm like no this literally happened so what happened was i came back home from school one day again i was i think roughly about 15 or 16 at that point mm-hmm. and i saw my parents huddling around the tv at the you know that this was the days before internet instagram the whole thing right and my parents never really watched TV generally. And so that was a, a big surprise to find, to, to, to see at, in the middle of the day. And so I knew something was going on. Mm. And so I, I walked up to them and I just kind of like, I'm like, mom, dad, what's going on? And I remember seeing just, it, the sight was just, I just could not believe my eyes. Cars were overturned on the streets. Uh, pillagers, rioters were all over the place. Goodness. Police and civilians were all clashing with each other. I mean, we don't really have time to get into the politics as to why these things are ha- happening, but it was it was chaos, right? Yeah. And rapists and everything, and it was a whole minority majority thing going on. And and I was part of that that minority group that that was targeted, I guess, is probably the simplest way to put it. And so I was on lockdown. That was literally a lockdown for weeks, definitely two weeks. And I couldn't get out. We couldn't go anywhere. And I remember just over the course of the days, I remember my dad would, he would go out, I think for, gosh, maybe like a few days at a time. We wouldn't, we wouldn't see him at all. Again, days before cell phones and everything. And because uh, he would just go out to the neighborhood organizations and they would have a night watch and everything. And it was scary. Like we didn't know what was going to happen to us, when we were going to be attacked, whether we we're going to be attacked. And it was, it, it's a very long story. But after several months, my parents and myself and my sisters, we kind of, we had to make some very difficult decisions. Mm -hmm. And that decision was that, okay, well, should we stay in this country or not? And I think everybody sort of agreed that at least for myself and my sister, we had to, we couldn't, you know, we couldn't stay there because we didn't know how long this was going to go on, right? So just imagine the, the lockdown and the pandemic that's happening now in 2020, and imagining having absolutely no idea, right, uh, when this is going to continue and having no technology, no idea when schools are going to reopen, everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a very conscious, deliberate 
in some ways painful decisions that mostly on my parents' side they had to make, yeah. and and I think we had to muster enough. Uh, bravery, if you will, to just kind of say, okay, this is not working. We have to do the, we have to make the difficult decision. So we did. And we decided that myself and my sister were going to come to the United States. And that's exactly what happened. I, I ended up in a boarding school in suburban America. And we're thankful that we have the means to do that. I think there are many people who have died lost everything, raped everything, and do not have a way to get out. Uh, I, mm. I was very, very blessed that I, I was able to. Yes. And, and so, but it was still, I think I, I was old enough to understand what's going on and old enough, I think, to withstand something like that, but also young enough to not really know what's going on, right? Like it was, I was 16, it was identity crisis, I couldn't really speak English very well, right? And of course, this is the age when everybody, everybody, whether you're in the United States, outside of the US, when everyone is, (laughs) everyone's dealing with, you know, friendships, boyfriends, girlfriends, identities, all of these. And it was just such a devastating, I, it's probably one of the darkest times in my life. At that time, I didn't really feel like it was because it could have been, you know, I was in survival mode. I was, there was adrenaline going on. You know, it's kind of like those, those stories that you hear. I mean, I'm a huge outdoor enthusiast and you hear about these stories when people are in survival mode, when they're out in the wilderness and they, they're lost they're for days or whatever. And they and something kind of kicked into gear, kicked into motion in their bodies. And yep. it's almost I think the experience is kind of like that, where then it wasn't too painful. But now looking back, I was like, how did that happen? You know, yeah, yeah. and um, and it was hard because I was I just didn't understand. Right. How culturally I felt like I had to change certain parts of myself to be able to relate to my friends, people who I just met right all of these things mm. and and it was so difficult but you know what what's really the, the the most difficult thing wasn't that i couldn't find anyone to speak to per se because yes i was in touch with my friends and my family at home still even if it's sporadic not as frequent as today's technology would allow but really the worst part i think of the entire experience when i was in the us uh, at school, uh, thousands of miles away from everything that I knew, was that I think no one tried to find me. You know, no one raised their hands and say, "I'm here, right? I'm here. How can I? How can I help? I've gone through something similar. Here's how I can help." And none of that, a single person uh, showed up, and and I think that was really surprising at at the time. I think I wouldn't have cared if somebody had come, you know, my way and raises their hand and maybe ask, "Hey, look, I have you know this group, I have this program, I have this pop, whatever in whatever shape or form, whether they have a business or a community or even just there to help." I wouldn't have cared, but I think what really surprised me mm-hmm. was that uh, was that no one showed up, and that was really something that. Uh, I kind of, I took home and this is why when 
I feel like I always encourage everyone I talk to, my students, you know, business owners, entrepreneurs, I always encourage everyone, if you have something to offer uh, at your your job, a skill, you know, in your business, whatever it is, it is our job to find the people who need it and share it. It's about giving. And this is actually, this came up actually just this week. Um, I was invited to speak at a workshop by, uh, that's held by Ramit Sethi. I don't know if you know Ramit, but he is a, uh, a number one New York Times bestselling author, uh, he he grew his business and he is, he has 400,000, I think, students and subscribers, financial advisors, so on. Mm-hmm. And so I was invited to hit one of his workshops today, uh, this week. And, and so he asked, he's like, I noticed that you aren't afraid to share uh, and to teach and to keep sharing what you have to offer, right? Because I offer programs and courses and all that. And, and so he asked, like, where does that come from? And this is exactly where it comes from. Because I think when we're, when we're kind of, when there's that little voice in our head that says, no, 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 I'm not going to go out there. I'm not going to get myself out there, or I'm not going to talk to X, Y, Z person. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves is really, is this care really because we care about them? Or is it because we care more about what we're thinking? And I think if we're really honest, I think most people, and myself included, every now and then for sure, uh, I think most of us are worried about, okay, what are they going to think about me when we do this? And what are, what are they going to say about me, right? And so that is exactly why I always encourage everyone, if you, I think if you want to find meaning in your life, that's exactly where you start, is to start by giving, really. Mm. Wow, that is profound, and it's it's something oddly enough in a place like America where I grew up. So I have a little authority to speak in how we are sometimes, but a very capitalistic society, uh, and I, I find it really fascinating the way you presented that, though, which is that if you have something to offer, go provide it, and and not just yeah. in the interest of making money, provide it. Uh, as a form of giving and boy, so many successful people talk about giving as such an essential, crucial element of success, joy, life, happiness in general and, and business success for being honest as as well. And I don't know how that all works in the uh, grand scheme of the universe and what the universe does to help us because we give, but it it seems to, it seems to (laughs) in a lot of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you touched on so many things though. Let's real quick touch on this immigrant. So you just have the one sister. I actually have two sisters, uh, but the one sister who came with me, she's, uh, we're twins, so we're the same age. And at the time when the riots and that civil unrest happened, I think we were, we, were, we were freshmen in high school. So there were still enough years in high school to make this make sense, right? Make the move make sense. I have another sister who at that time when everything happened, she was uh, already in, uh, she's a senior in high school. So she didn't want to, I think she was calculating in her head and she was old enough to do that at that point, right? She she didn't want to leave her friends and finish one one year left. I think at that point she'd rather 
uh, make a decision to stay behind. Mm-hmm. And my, my parents stayed behind. And it was, it was, I think it was harder probably on them than it was for me. And, and I think we forget a lot of times, you know, people come to America or just anywhere, anywhere in the world, they move around. It's, you know, it's, it's because we're in pursuit of something that we haven't found, right? And, and even if you're just moving, I mean, you move from New Mexico to California, I'm sure there's a reason behind that. And, um, you know, whether that's monetary, career, Mm -hmm. or just, you know, I don't know, boredom, who knows. (laughs) But, (laughs) but there's a lot of, I think that's what we often forget when we're, you know, at work and, uh, you know, when we're working in our office or when we are running our business or when we're just hanging out with, with our family or kids, I think we often forget that everyone is fighting their own battle and it just, it only takes one person to just say, I'm here, you know, how can I support you? And that would change not just an entire day, not just an entire year. It could change someone's entire life. And I remember very specifically, there's one student of mine who he came to me. I think he, he came and he, he said, Talia, I'm already making, you know, X number of, of dollars. My business is great, but I want my wife to be able to stay at home with the kids and and his wife was a, a kindergarten teacher, so it does it wouldn't take too much to get her income to to get him to earn an extra income. So, but even then, right, that is a someone, right, put a smile on someone's face, even that has in, in an office that has a toxic work environment. That is, I mean, I think we have to realize that we all have that ability to uh, really change drastically change the course of someone's life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you explaining that. So, and and you cut out a tiny bit there talking about the kindergarten teacher wife. Um, (laughs) But so he had to essentially find a way to replace that income. And uh, I didn't catch. Correct. Yeah. So, Absolutely. So he was, so he's one of my students and he has a successful business and he was expecting another baby. He has one kid at that time and he wanted to have another baby. And they, as a family, they wanted to make the decision to essentially have, uh, you know, the mom, his wife, stay at home. And, and at, with his income that he's bringing in from his business, he didn't feel like that would have been enough. So he wanted to make just a little extra, you know, on the side. I think it was 30 grand or something is the amount that he came up with. Mm-hmm. And he said, if I can earn just 30 extra grand, my wife can stay at home and our family life would just be, it, it'll just change drastically, right? 180 degree. And and that's exactly what happened. I mean, we worked together on, okay, what's, what can we do to make this happen? And when it happened, it wasn't that I was doing it for him. It wasn't that it was my business per se. It was just, I was doing it for really for him, his wife and his unborn child. It was just, I think we all kind of forget the ripple effects. I mean, you, you talk on this podcast all the time, Phil, there's, there are probably dozens of people listening that, uh, 
every single day to your podcast who you and I, we don't know that you're changing their life in one way or another. And I think that's why I always encourage people, if you have something to give, give it, give it generously. Oh yeah, absolutely. And what a beautiful perspective. Uh, and, and by the way, I might add, you speak English very well. And, and having known immigrants who've come from a, a, another <laughs> language, uh, another place in the world, especially coming in your mid-teens, that's uh, especially difficult in, in what I've experienced, by the way, because a lot of times, once you get past around the age of 11 or 12, at least, it's hard to learn a language without having like an accent. Like you don't, you have virtually no accent. You speak, I don't know if you spoke English uh, in Indonesia at all, but you you, acted, you said earlier that you didn't really understand the language, so you must not have spoken it well yet. <laughs> but no, yeah, and what yeah, and and, and what happened was actually the <laughs> this is uh, this is funny, and I can't believe I'm telling this story, but uh, I mean every now and then I do kind of lose certain grammatical uh, logic, I think, when I'm tired. And my, hus my husband would notice it. He'd just be, because he grew up here. And he was like, that's not how you'd say anything. He's like, what are you talking about? But really, that actually came. And I'm an 80s, 90s kid. I used to listen to Bon Jovi a lot. Oh. <laughs> For those of you kids who don't know who Bon Jovi is, he's a legend. <laughs> and that's literally how I learned uh, English by listening to music. And I think at that time, the Cosby show was still, there were still reruns of the Cosby show. So I would watch the Cosby show. Friends was huge already, I think at that point. So I, so that's actually where I learned English, yeah. which is hilarious. But well, no, yeah, that's, 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 that happened. No, that's awesome. That's very common. Not, not necessarily the Bon Jovi part, but the music part. <laughs> uh, you know, I got a lot of respect for Bon Jovi. Uh, legend in his time and legend to this day. Uh, but uh, again, we digress. But thank you for sharing that. And that's, it, by the way, my ex-wife, she came uh, and she she was more into R&B music. So it wasn't, wasn't no Bon Jovi. Mm. Uh, there's my bad grammar. She wasn't listening <laughs> to that, but she learned from and just reading the lyrics and all these things. Yeah. And uh, all, a lot of the stuff you're describing in the TV shows and stuff as well. Um, so really interesting. So I could dig in so deep on all that, but we're not going to in the interest of time today as far as the immigrant thing and the transition. But tell me as you're in your mid-teens, which is a very formative time of life, and these are when decisions start to happen that will form the rest of your life. And mm -hmm. not to mention, unexpectedly, you became an immigrant. And uh, talk to me a little bit more about your journey forward and how you got to this place from there. Um, because I know, you know, you went to Princeton and, and things like that. Uh, talk to me about that whole journey and process and what brought you to this place, if you would. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That would be a very long story. Well, we can summarize uh, a little bit. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. absolutely. Absolutely. So I think when I now fast forwarding into when I start living in the U S right. Suburban America it was, the whole thing was really strange, right? Like, as, as I mentioned, because I wasn't used to, I mean, where I grew up, it, it's a big city, you know, there are a lot of public transportations. And where I moved to, and I came to here in the US, very suburban, trees everywhere, beautiful. Now I appreciate it. But it felt, I think lonely is probably an understatement, right? It's kind of like, 
like, I think if you had gone, like anyone here probably have traveled, if you had traveled somewhere and the place is beautiful and so on and so forth, but if you overstayed your, the welcome or overstayed when, you know, the two weeks or whatever it is, uh, or maybe even two months for some people, mm-hmm. sometimes you get that really just unsettling feeling, right? And <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I've heard this a lot for, from people who have moved to Hawaii because they loved Hawaii. And then they ended up there and they're like, nope, we're going to go back. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's kind of, I think it's similar to that, right? There's, there's a novelty involved in any new experience. And I think everyone is able to withstand that, whether they're coming from a place of, oh, this is a vacation or a place of, oh my goodness, this is, my life is falling apart. This is a survival thing. But when I was there, it was very unsettling. I just didn't feel right for a long, long time. What, what city and is this? I'm it, sorry to cut you off. What, what city This was, in? well, maybe not to put too much on the location, but it's in Connecticut in the United oh, okay. States. Okay. And uh, beautiful, right? Gorgeous, amazing fall sure. foliage, I think, for anyone who's ever been there. But it was, I think it, it's a huge jump, not just from Indonesia to the U.S., big city to suburbia, uh, you know, everything. It was just, everything was so, so different. And I, uh, I mean, to be honest, I didn't like it very much, right? Uh, I survived it, did okay. But I think when I was going through it, what I didn't realize then that I do now is that that kind of became sort of like ground zero for me to uh, really test out things that I didn't know and limits that I didn't know that I can pass. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of the things that I now teach to my students actually came from that experience. And, you know, I think now everybody talks about mindset, right? Everybody talks about uh, attitude and how you can kind of change your situation and perspective, all important Back then, no one was talking about that. Nobody knew. I think aside from maybe one book that I've read, Man's Search for Meaning, Victor Franklin, uh, or Frankel, I think is his last yeah, name. That's right. And yeah, amazing book. And uh, I think it's a book that I actually also recommend to a business uh, insider, uh, reporter, and journalist because it's just such an amazing book. And that was Absolutely. the only book that, that I read that spoke to all of this. But, you know, I think just over the course of my school years there, I started learning, okay, what does it mean if I, if I choose not to be a victim? Like, how does that look like? What does it mean if I just kind of basically take anything, make weaknesses and turn them into strength, right? All of that. And I think from there, kind, you know, it, the grit came, you know, slowly came, the perseverance slowly came. And, and that's how I think that's how, uh, I don't know how I ended up in Princeton. That's uh, still beyond me to this day. And um, even just the experience there and working as an architect years after that, working with big retailers, multi-million dollar companies after that, um, all of those were it just felt like a dream but I think that's exactly why now I teach this as well to my kids don't underestimate the times when you're going through an obstacle because those obstacles might exactly be 
the way for you to find whatever path that you want to find, you know, and it's, I think that's so important. And, and I didn't realize it then, but I do realize it now. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great perspective. I, I, I love these stories and I love what, what you're, um, what you've derived from this experience because it sounds to me like uh, you, you made the absolute most of it so far having gone through all these so things. And, well, you know, I you can't speak to your future, you know, path. and I hope that I'll do my best too. And everyone else it's uh, that's the funny Absolutely. thing in life though. Is there's, there's these pivot points, you know, I could go mm-hmm. become a bank robber today or something, but I'm not going to, uh, or, <laughs> or any number of things. It's just, we're always on this fragile footing in life that we take for granted. Uh, any, any misstep, whether more or less intentional, can set us, I'm not going to go down that path, so to speak, but I think we all know that, so it's worth kind of maybe reminding all of us in this podcast. But the fact that you took and made the most of it and also developed your mindset in the process, like you talked about this survivalist mode and uh, uh, survival mode, excuse me, that you have you had to survive essentially uh stay afloat like you didn't have any other choice and sometimes that's the best those are the best times of for growth in life because you don't have any choice but to, but to grow right uh absolutely learning a language and developing your mindset um so what one of the things that you talk a lot about and i want to get into how all this relates because you're very uniquely prepared to be doing what you do and helping people in general, and especially businesses uh, with all the things you've done and been through. Um, but one of the things you talk about too is, is and you've mentioned a few times here, uh, being really into the outdoors, if we can use preposition into yeah. for yes. the outdoors. Uh, but you're, you, you know, you talk about mountaineering and rock climbing in New Mexico, for example. What is it about <laughs> all that? And, and we're going to tie this all back into... Uh, what you do in business, I think, if we can. But what is it about rock climbing and mountaineering that uh, that uh, got you so interested, and you know that you still do to this day with your family and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I think, particularly nowadays, I think people are starting to kind of wake up to the to that need that we do need to be outside <laughs> more often yeah, than not. Yeah. And whenever we have the chance to be outside, that's, uh, and when it's safe and everything, that's definitely the way to go. And I have to be perfectly frank. My husband is actually the real mountaineer and he, he's the one who got me into this whole thing. As, as I mentioned just earlier, I mean, I grew up in a big city, right? That was never my thing. And Mm -hmm. just being with him and his company and people that he knows, I started to learn a little bit more about that world. And it's just stunning. I mean, words cannot describe it. I think, I don't know if you remember this when you were in New Mexico and in other parts in the Southwest, Phil, but when you drive, and I don't know if you ever driven with maybe your dad or your family just before the sun sets or just before the sun rises, and I, I used to have, I remember I used to drive around a lot for business trips and I would wake up at the crack of, maybe just before the crack of dawn, and mm-hmm. I would go out into just the middle of nowhere, just on the highway, and, and the sky is completely open, right? 
And it is the most stunning view that I've ever seen. And I've been mm-hmm. to, in, in my past life, you know, throughout my teenage years and definitely in my early 20s, I've been to Switzerland. I've been to some beautiful places, Greece, Switzerland, all gorgeous. Wow. But it was just kind of that, that moment of realizing that you are just a tiny speck, you know, in this vast, vast place and realizing that everything turns every second, every minute is, is just, is just, it's just not like anything else. Right. And experiencing that, I think I realized a lot of things about life is that yes, you do have to roll with the punches, but I think mostly you have to know, uh, you know, why you're doing this. And for me, I mean, I believe that if you are in the service of other people, the next step in your life will reveal itself. Mm. And it's kind of similar in the outdoors because, you know, when you're uh, mountaineering, when you're rock climbing, there are so many ways that it can go wrong. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, but also so many ways that it can go right. Right. And, um, and I think the, the reason why somebody could survive in the outdoors in their life, right. Or even in their work, business, everything. It's really that some from something external. I think Simon Sinek does really great work on, on this concept, but, but uh, if you remember that movie, I think it's 127 days, right? Or is it 128 days? But it's about a, an outdoorsman who got trapped in Arizona, if I, if I remember correctly, for days. And he realized that if he doesn't cut his arm off, he would die. You know, he would just die because his arm was stuck or maybe even his hand. I can't remember. But, uh, but the reason why somebody survives something, the reason why somebody takes their business from, you know, zero to whatever, uh, just this huge impact in the world is usually, it usually has nothing to do with just yourself. Yes, of course, you have to be motivated and everything, but uh, that I think is true as well in the outdoors, because if you have to go home to your kids, if you have to be accountable to your friends, if somebody's relying on you out there, you will find a way to basically find a way. And I think that's what's beautiful about this whole journey that we're in. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's beautiful. I, uh, yeah. And by the way, the movie's 127 hours. He was uh, hours. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, James Franco. And I honestly, I haven't seen that movie. I'd like to, I've been wanting to see it. It's like, what, what this <laughs> list I've been busy for the last, that came out like 10 years ago. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. quite a story. And, uh, it, but I love the, the message of, of what you're describing because what it amounts to is we need to be in harmony with our surroundings. We don't need to be an isolated, you know, I think, and people have heard me on the podcast, I use all these musical analogies, but it's like, you know, if you have a guitar playing completely out of tune all by yourself, but you're trying to be in a band, it doesn't work. Uh, and and yeah. we're of necessity of, as people, we're in a massive 7 billion plus person band on this earth. And we need to be more in harmony with each other uh, to make this thing work. And and being like, if you're just about making money for selfish interests, it's not going to work long term. To do well in business, you have to you have to like really serve and bring real value. 
uh, with product and service and hopefully lift people in various ways as well. Uh, so I think that's a solid message uh, and, and also a, a little bit of an analogy tied to this going out to the outdoors and climbing mountains and <laughs> stuff. And yeah. you have that in Albuquerque, we had the Sandia Mountains, right? Uh, so you, you didn't have much of that probably back yeah. then. <laughs> no, not very much. We did have to go to, I think we, we, we did travel a bit in the back when we lived in the East Coast. But as you would know, it's just not as, the elevation's not as high. And it is, you have to drive, gosh, maybe you have to sit in four or six hour traffic, not even smooth traffic, right? As versus in the Southwest, you, you get to just kind of drive and drive. But um, in in the back east, you do have to sit through traffic, which is, uh, you know, something that at the time I wasn't willing to do, you know, so, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those absolute favorites. And I highly encourage, I think, uh, I'm sure everybody here has hobbies and things that they're passionate about that I always encourage to never skip because that, that's what keeps you sane, you know, that's what keeps you going. And it really is what keeps you grounded at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. for sure yeah you know living a little bit outside of ourselves helped keep us centered within ourselves uh ironically uh or oddly enough and so yeah i appreciate that perspective let's shift gears a little on the business side and how all this and your life experience relates to that because uh what are some of the things i know you've worked with a lot of big name brands and uh, companies out there um what are some of the areas where these companies struggle and, and also what are some of the things uh, they or us as entrepreneurs can do better to find more harmony and success in the business world and then also in our lives? Because it's all interconnected, right? Uh, Absolutely. Talk to me a little about that if you would. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad that you brought that up because it's kind of, I mean, the reason why I'm doing what I do is because of, there, there are multiple reasons, but one of, one of the reasons is because I, somebody that, you know, I, I know, I've known for years, years, they're very, this person is very good at what they do, right? Uh, very skilled. And, but then every single time the business aspect comes into play, everything falls apart. That's just not something that they've been able to figure out and it's always it's just that feeling of watching and watching someone not get to where they can be really really is is uh, again going back to that feeling of unsettling it just feel, felt off for me right and um, I hate it I hate watching it I hate it when people give up on their dreams unnecessarily it's kind of like watching your a favorite character in a movie or a story uh, die an unnecessary death, right? It's it's not a good feeling, yeah. you know? Yeah. You're rooting for them. You're like, <laughs> oh my God, this whole time you have this, this, this going on and yep. you die, you know, like you're just screaming, you're just throwing popcorn at the, uh, you know, at the screen. And um, it's kind of that feeling because it's, it's in everyone's interest for everyone else around us to be successful. I think I really, really, truly believe that because uh, I realize that 
in any situation, you can totally make a difference. You can totally get ahead, grow a successful career, grow a successful business, get profitable clients, even if the odds are against you, but it's, it's watching people miss those little puzzles and pieces is the reason why I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I have to, I can't just sit around and watch. Uh, I have to start giving. And I think that's where I think a lot of people get stuck because they hear all these things. There's a lot of noise in our world. When you're at work, they say, okay, you have to add value to get the better job. If you're in business, you go, oh, I have to add more value to get so-and-so clients and so forth. It's confusing. Mm -hmm. And I always encourage people to basically kind of like, I mean, you're a musician, And so you might like this analogy where in, I think in music and definitely in just as far as noise is concerned, there, there's the higher frequency and there's also the lower frequency, right? Ultra, uh, right? Ultrasonic and uh, infra, I think is the, the lower frequency. And when it comes to adding value, I think people don't really think about that. Like people talk about, yeah, you got to add value, send more emails, you know, knock on more doors. I actually disagree. I think that you want to be kind of on the edges of the spectrum where you're basically, your focus and your time should be uh, basically focused on being invaluable, right? Being so valuable that they just can't ignore you. They can't ignore your emails. They can't ignore you because you're that one person who's like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that whatever, so-and-so noticed that I mentioned this earlier and is willing to help. And, and on the other side of the spectrum, I talk about instead of value add, I talk about value subtract. Now, I don't mean don't do anything. I just mean that whenever you can, just try to lift things off of people's shoulders, right? And this is true professionally and personally whether in marriage or in business and work relationship. This is absolutely true. Whenever you can kind of give, get something off of someone's shoulder and subtracting that weight off of their shoulder, you're going to stand out. It wouldn't matter uh, you know, who you are, whether you're just starting out, whether you're no name, that's how you're going to stand out. And I think this is, uh, this is actually something, funnily enough, I learned this when I was an architect and working with just uh, these big companies with multi-million dollar projects. Um, you, have you guys, I don't know if your, your listeners, uh, and this is not really the time to look into hotels per se, but if you remember luxury hotels, right? If you think, uh, if you're not, you and I are thinking about booking a luxury hotel, uh, with, what is the one thing that you usually must have? Like when you're scrolling, you're opening their website, you're scrolling through their website, what is the one thing that, they, that we typically look for mm-hmm. in a luxury hotel or even a, bu- a boutique hotel? Boy, that's a loaded any, question. Any I mean, guess? I know there's a lot of amenities. I'm always looking <laughs> you for the take pool, a guess? to be honest. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yes, yes. That's exactly it. You hit it right oh, on, uh, on the bullseye there. So it's the pool. Yeah, it's exactly. So in a luxury hotel, right, that's the one thing that, is, that everyone is looking for. <laughs> and because then before Infinity Pool was this popular thing, the luxury hotel goers usually have two major complaints about their swimming experience from their customers, right? 
if the people like the pool, they'll say, well, this is nice and all, but I also kind of want to be able to see the beach. I want to be on the beach, uh, you know, and just kind of look at the sunset. That's number one. The number two, they, if they are on the beach, they say, well, this is also great, but it's kind of far to walk from the, uh, to the beach from my room. And I would get sand in all my crevices, right? My armpits, mm -hmm. butt crack, everything. And, and I don't get that nice, warm pool temperature, right? And that feeling of just clean, but, but still that, that experience all the time. So that's the two main complaints. So what did the hotels and the designers and all of these uh, people do? They decided to, to, to go, you know what? We can solve these two major complaints by pushing the pool walls down some and then raising the pool water level up some, right? Therefore, creating this infinity pool and getting everyone to solving two of the most invaluable problems. They're not just kind of, you know, eating around the edges, right? Biting around the edges and say, well, maybe if we move the pool to the beach, which would be very expensive or they didn't say well maybe if the beach we put sand in like the the pool although some hotels do that also very expensive but most hotels then started to go oh okay we need to solve the one or the two in this case the two most invaluable thing with the smallest yet most meaningful step possible right and that's what it means to become invaluable to the people around you. Again, true in business, true at work, true in life as well. And I call this the infinity pool technique. I talk about this in my program, so forth. But I think the point of it is that we tend to gravitate towards everything that's the loudest, right? Just kind of uh, just be doing everything that everyone is doing when in fact, everybody, everybody has the potential to do something so unique and so invaluable that you'll stand out no matter what. Yeah, that's that's very true, and I and I love that you point out that it's it's kind of little adjustments uh, in a lot of cases, you know. And I, I always remember one of my yes. favorite quotes out there. Tony Robbins said that I've probably said before in the podcast is both success and failure are found in the little things, and that has to, that's on a personal level, that's on a business level, uh, you know, the little things like getting up and reading your goals and these sorts of things and having consistent pattern and habits of of success in life. And then the little things like the adjustment with the pool that you pointed out, kind of this infinity pool idea, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I, I haven't worked in that realm, but it makes sense that little strategies that might go on behind the scenes. Is this what you went to school for, by the way, architecture originally? I did. Yeah, originally that was what I went to school for. And oh my goodness, so much fun. And, uh, but it was one of those things that I decided that I couldn't impact enough people and help enough people by being behind the desk. It was a conscious decision. I was doing great. You know, the career was uh, booming and everything, but I just wasn't able to, to see where I can really uh, change people's lives, when, especially the pe people who needed it, right? I think part of the shift when I decided to make the conscious decision to start working with individuals, right? Entrepreneurs, solo entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs it's because uh yes the the pay is great and everything but it just the people who needed it right needed me they needed it and uh and all that they have to realize is really that you know like you were saying phil is really the small things and how do you make 
take small things and turn them into this big, beautiful, massive leaps. And there are those levers that everyone can pull in, uh, in whatever they do. And I, I don't think people realize that quite as much. Yeah. Well, and I, I love architecture from, I mean, I, there's tons of amazing architecture throughout the world. It's one of the things that makes this world such a beautiful, unique, diverse place, uh, especially historically and all these various things. Uh, but I, I love architecture, uh, the building of buildings uh, as an analogy too. And I think that makes you especially even more uniquely qualified to do what you're doing, uh, to have some more deep perspective on that. Because, you know, we talk about you have to, you have to prepare the ground and lay the foundation. And there's this process to build, just building a house, for example, let alone, you know, I'm in Las Vegas. So big hotels and other things, you talk about hotels. Um, but it's, it's still whatever you're building, large or small, there's a process. You don't, you don't do the foundation last. You don't try to dig it out underneath the house and then lay the foundation, for example. So um, and all these things are, sound like things that you're talking about here, about having your why. Like you talked about this person you worked with um, and, and just be so good they can't ignore you kind of thing, which actually there's a book out there by, I think Cal Newport wrote this book. And it's an old quote from yeah, Steve absolutely. Martin, actually. Be so good they can't ignore you. Uh, all these exactly. things are part of building that foundation as we build that, whatever our unique building is going to be. So I, I like, I love analogies. I love uh, symbols because I think they're very uh, instructive <laughs> and profound. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting when you mentioned the architectural uh, analogy is because, I mean, I've worked, I remember, and this is when I started learning this is I, I realized that it's not usually good enough that you want to help people, right? In order for you to be a gift to other people, usually you have to start working with other people, right? Reaching out to other people and, uh, you know, doing all these other things and other people are involved in this. And I think that's where a lot of people get stuck. And uh, I, I can't tell you how many people come to me and they're like, oh, I'm a good artist. Oh, I'm a great graphic designer, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, I don't know how to, you know, get those clients or I don't know. how. So it's, it's kind of that piece, I think, of the puzzle that really uh, gets people stuck. And that's what I help people with. Mm. Yeah. And is it something I want to get into that real quick, too? Uh, it, it just occurs to me as you're describing this, that there's something to be said for just shifting our mindset. Um, and boy, so many people talk about this and everyone's like, Phil, shut up. Are you, everyone says this, but shifting our mindset in the sense of giving, in the sense of service, uh, yes. I think uh, just works wonders. It's, it's like, you know, I have a friend who recently started running and previously had been in sports and running was like a punishment for them in their sports. <laughs> and now they shifted their mindset that no, they like running and they, they want what that brings to their life. Uh, in a different way and not looking at it as a punishment. And if you're looking at business as just this constant uphill battle, which it can be in some ways, but you can look at it like mountaineering, like you're going uphill, but you're getting, you're getting a better view as you climb that mountain, you're getting stronger, you're getting some exercise, uh, all these benefits as you're climbing instead of, Oh, it's just an uphill battle as if we have blinders on and that's all that it's about. Uh, so it's yeah, it, yeah. developing this mindset of service 
and then looking, okay, now that I'm about service, that's, that's a big core value for me. And then these opportunities open up because you said something early on that was very profound to me about serving. I don't remember exactly how you worded it, but serving uh, often reveals that next step in life. Didn't you say that something to that effect? Yeah, I think I said that if you are really in, in the service of other people, the next steps will reveal itself. And, and this is something that I experience, not just uh, you know, personally, but also with the students that I work with. Because I noticed that uh, some of the students that I have who are, are really just people-serving, focused on giving, um, and while they're growing their business, it's not, if you think about all the pressures of success, right, uh, and it's all the pressures of achievements, it's because we're concerned about ourselves, right? Because we want whatever, you know, people come up with random, uh, you know, milestones. Oh, I want a million dollar by the time I'm 30 or whatever random stuff they talk about now. And, but those who say, you know what, I'm just going to look to the person, lean on what they need and find out what it is, then th- and, and try to help as much as possible, those are usually the people who are most successful. Mm-hmm. And I remember very specifically, <laughs> this is true, I remember, and this was years ago when I was working with big, big companies, I remember walking into this high stakes meeting, you know, the boardroom type with the fancy glasses and everything. And uh, one of the, the big dogs was sitting there and I was in conversation with, uh, with him. And his admin, his, uh, I think it was his secretary, came in and whispered something, something in his ear, and, and he kind of shook his head, right? He shook his head, and he's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so the, the secretary left, and kind of on the side, he told me, he's like, Talia, all these people, they want to give me this, they want to give me that, but... Uh, the reality is 99% of them don't actually care to find out what matters for me. Now, he did also mention, he says, the problem is I also don't know what it is that I actually really need. I can feel it. I don't actually know. And he then goes to say, if and only if somebody comes to me and actually try to find out what it is that I'm actually needing, how they're actually can be really, really, truly helpful and just becoming invaluable, right? Mm-hmm. Going back to the infinity, infinity pool, um, I would pay them three times the amount, three times. And, and that was kind of like, that was kind of the realization was that, uh, isn't it beautiful, right? Isn't it beautiful that, success, all of those things that we all want is in a, inevitable and uh, inevitable if we only care about other people. And, yeah. uh, but it always has to start with caring with other people, whether or not you want success. Um, and if you can't do that, then that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a difficult climb. Yes, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, <clears throat> it, it seems to me it's, it, it, finding out and having that process up front with clients, customers of what they want. Uh, it's the most effective way from a sales standpoint and, and not just to manipulate and get money out of people, but really genuinely wanting to find out because it'll keep you in business when you find out what, what the masses want and need and then meeting a need versus, Oh, I need to just go make a bunch of money. Well, the money will come as well, exactly. but looking at it from the standpoint of let's meet the need uh, it seems is, is the most effective approach. Um, 
if you sit down with a small business that you work with, walk me through that process, if you would, because, uh, you know, and, and back to what we we're just saying, it reminds me too, I was going to point this out. I was just yesterday, I was reading uh, kind of a case study about email marketing, about some people leave their list kind of dormant, their email list. And then mm. uh, this person who's, who kind of specializes and works with you know, companies and individuals to revitalize email lists and maximize that potential uh, talked about kind of going out there and starting with, with kind of a, a survey and finding out what they want and which rings true with what you're saying. What is it that you want from me? What can I provide you? And then following <laughs> through and doing it and emailing them consistently uh, as well. But anyway, I digress a little. Talk to me about that process with, with a company where you can take, uh, like we said at the beginning, small business and, and bring big wins for them. And of course, their customers in the process, because it's all an interrelated, uh, you know, thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I'm, it, it's so funny that, you know, you mentioned email, uh, emails being people, things that people read, right, all of these things. And it is absolutely interesting to me how people don't, it's don't look at it from the perspective of, again, caring for the people who are already like raising their hands and saying, yeah, you know, show me what, how, how I can move forward. And um, that, that's another, that's something that we can touch on in just a little bit. But answering your question on how small businesses can get massive, massive leaps, I think there's this understanding, right, that, uh, that if I have X, then, you know, then I'm going to get Y from this person. I think what we're always, always forgetting, and you talk about this in your podcast a lot, Phil, is that these are human beings. They're even in your company with your own vision and particular whatever programs and offers, there are people moving constantly within those those two parties, right? And so you have to be able to find what your strengths are, going back to the piece that's most invaluable. And I call that the most, actually, the MVP, really. There are pieces in your company right now that is so valuable that that's really the thing that you should focus on, right? The same thing when you're meeting with someone, it is uh, someone, your potential client or whatever uh, of a, a small business, they have their own MVP, which is even if in, they're, they're in the same category as your previous client or previous customer, it's different. I think that's what people have to realize, that this is an organic, uh, it's almost like two magnets, right? And yes, there are polar opposites and they attract each other, but the size is different. What's in between the two magnets different. Um, what, how the magnets come about is different. And mm -hmm. so when I, when, you know, little tiny businesses, uh, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs come to me and be like, well, how can I do this? I'm like, okay, yes, there is a framework, but you have to realize that this is a process. Going back to that uh, organic process that you have to discover first before you get that massive leaps. Yeah. Yeah. More great analogies. And I appreciate that uh, perspective. Um, it's, it's really important. It's, you know, there's this old saying that existed way before any of us were born about the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's in the Bible and in other contexts as well. It's not just money. Money in and of itself is just like a screwdriver. It's a tool. 
But the love exactly. of money, you could love the screwdriver. You could love uh, anything if you choose to, I guess. But, uh, yeah. and I think about the word evil, because I'd, I'd like to dig into uh, to the actual, uh, some, like the roots of words and figure out really where they come from. And it's, it's actually a fascinating process. But really the word evil refers to something harmful and injurious, you know, that causes injury. And so if we're just focusing on money at the end of the day, we're actually doing something harmful, both to ourselves and maybe the world at large in some capacity. Uh, and so shifting that mindset, like we're talking about, about service, uh, yes, the money will follow. And, uh, but, but just loving money all by itself in a selfish kind of way is, is not the right, <laughs> the right way. And you may yes, yes. that's some money for a time, but it seems consistently that, that that won't last if that's all you're about. Uh, Absolutely. And this goes back to what precedes the what follows, right? And you talked about, well, what comes first? Absolutely true. And you see this as well when people, uh, you know, when people reach out to, again, in, in careers, business, everything, sometimes you have to reach out to other people. Uh, or even in emails uh, and email, um, I guess, reach out uh, efforts, you do have to do that, right? And some of the mistakes that I've seen, I remember I saw in my inbox, um, which has now, gosh, 6,000 unopened emails, which is a problem. (laughs) I saw somebody emailed me. I didn't know this person. They emailed me and they just fired away with, uh, oh, we do this. And we also, so do this. Would you like to do this? By the way, if you can't do this, you can do this. And there's like 12 requests and all of these things that has nothing to do with them finding out what it is that's important, right? Like, it's just not a good way. It's kind of like us going to a dinner party, right? Fuel, you and I, and then we have whatever, 10 other people in the room. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly we just come up to somebody that we don't know and just be like, oh, by the way, we're not going to talk about anything else, but uh, here's like 10 things that I want to talk about. It's just weird, right? I think it, above anything else, it's weird. Like that's just not how people are. And I think that's why with my students, I often walk them through what should you do? What should you say when you first are messaging someone, when you're first emailing someone, when you want to get a job? What does that look like if you have no opportunities, no op- opening? How do you create an opportunity? How do you get ahead, but still be, again, putting people and the service uh, above all things? Yeah, very, very true. I'd like that. And, uh, you know, and looking at your website too, you, you says that you don't talk about doing more things, but about turning small, ordinary, uh, yet most meaningful steps into extraordinary leaps. And really, we can simplify. Sometimes we overcomplicate and turn things that don't need to be kind of rocket science into that, but then it doesn't have to be. Uh, what we're talking about is simple steps. And we probably touched the tip of the iceberg. I know you you do a lot of things and you have a lot of uh, principles. Your website, again, is goodgrowgreat.com. And talk to me more about how people can uh, work with you or, or, you know, get past this tip of the iceberg that we've touched on today to help themselves individually in their businesses. Uh, Because I I know you have kind of a freebie offer as well (laughs) that's out there. 
Uh, tell me a little about Yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that quote that you, you just mentioned, that is actually uh, to resonate with, I don't know if you know Greg McCown, but he's a, a, an amazing author. His book on essentialism. He was on the podcast. Fun- yeah, oh, he was. Oh, great. There you go. Yeah, great. Yeah, good, good oh, guy. <laughs> amazing guy. Really great, great guy. And it's, I mean, he talks a little bit more from the uh, practical standpoint. And what, uh, you know, what I share are usually when I talk about, okay, you need to find the smallest, most meaningful step uh, first to create the biggest, most uh, extraordinary leaps, right? That actually is because what I notice is a lot of people always look outside, right? They look externally and be like, oh, what is out there that can help me? Oh, if I try that, maybe that can help me. Oh, if I do this, those other people are doing this. When in fact, they should be kind of standing their ground, right? Putting that root on the ground and saying, no, 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 no. This is how I want to live my life. This is what's important. These are the values that's important. And, and this is how I'm going to do it. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to be as uh, huge of a service, as big of a gift to other people. That's what I'm talking about. And, and often, more often than not, people skip that step, which is just, uh, I would say it's one of the biggest mistakes uh, out there. But this is true as well, when you're trying to reach out and email other people uh, and uh, to create all these beautiful opportunities in your life, you have to define what it is that you're trying to give and how you can give back and start from, uh, from uh, internally. So uh, to save all of your listeners time and give everyone more time on the things that matter, right? Things that are important for you, your kids, more time changing other people's lives and less time hustling to death. I do have a gift for everybody. I have a 3,800 word guide and word for word script on how to get ahead and earn more meaningfully. There you will also find, uh, I talk about the massively overrated advice that you should avoid if you're, try- if you're tired of seeing other people around you becoming an overnight success and wondering, why not me? And uh, so all of that is in the ultimate guide. And you can go to goodgrowgreat.com forward slash empowerhumans2020, 2020. Cool. And uh, any fi- any final thoughts or tips? Uh, any last little uh, priceless uh, tidbits you'd like to <laughs> convey to our audience before we wrap up here? Again, we could uh, these topics. And- we can go all day. Yeah. No, we could just talk about New Mexico all day. That's better. <laughs> yeah. But people go, oh, this is getting boring. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I th- absolutely. I think uh, just to kind of. Uh, echo and expand on what we already touched upon, Phil, you, especially you on your podcast as well with all of the beautiful gems that you share. Uh, I think it's so important to, like I said, first define what is important for you. And that could be family. That could be, maybe it's even monetary. I don't know, right? For some people that could be, uh, that could be uh, just meaning or maybe just one extra hour a day. Define those first and then you can go crush it. Okay. Yeah. Really great tip and, and powerful, simple. I love it. <laughs> like Tony yeah. said, the success and failure found in the, in the little things. And that's what we need to do. Uh, what we call little things, a lot of times are actually the big things, but we call them exactly. little because it's like, 
it's big in the sense of it's something you got to constantly do, but it's little in the sense of what it is in the moment that you're doing it. Uh, but anyway, Talia, thank you so much. So much uh, great insight and what a great story. And uh, I, I love these stories and I, and, I, and I just see how between that and your architecture background and uh, just all the great perspectives you bring to the table that you're, you yourself are an invaluable, to use the word that we used earlier, uh, resource for businesses so and individuals alike. So thank you, thank you. Um, and for our audience, uh, again, go to that, that goodgrowgreat.com forward slash empowerhumans2020, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. and uh, we're flattered you spend time with us. Until next time, empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to Empower Humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit empowerhumans.com. We'll catch you next time.